I'm Lizanne Flynn. I'm a master healer who works with all earthlings to reunite them within themselves and with each other, regardless of the dimension they're currently in. Meaning, I'm a medium as well as an animal communicator, medical intuitive, and channel for all beings. I use the tools of shamanic journeying and soul retrieval to support animals and humans as they heal from past trauma. I'm certified as a Reiki master teacher and as a canine massage therapist. This is the Animals I View podcast. We might think of the word sore, S-O-A-R, as being more applicable to an animal with the element of air, or one that perhaps shares the element of air with its home element, say, of water, like dolphin or penguin or whale. And try though I might when asking which animal wanted to come forward with a message for beings in human experience this week, it was wolf, (laughs) and the word was definitely sore. I had to look up, of course, with my frenemy, that being science, that's what I've come to, that science and I are frenemies, (laughs) whether or not, absent a pair of wings, wolves actually did soar and had ever been seen soaring. And, in fact, yes, wolf can soar, as you might imagine that they can, being so physically powerful that, yes, they can soar. I don't know about leaping tall buildings, but they can cover quite a bit of ground in one leap if they so choose. Full disclosure, of course, I already knew this in non-ordinary reality when Wolf was one of the first animals to share themselves with me during a journey session. And at that point in time, being new to journeying, it was a rather dizzying feeling actually becoming physically one with Wolf because that's what they do your animal partners, either through merging with or ingesting you, and I'll take the former any day. Thank you very much. So when my body experienced how fast wolves can move and what it does feel like, again, to my body, how swiftly they run and jump and how much ground they can cover in just one stride, then absolutely yes, soaring was done fairly often almost as if the energy of wolf themselves has access to the element of air in addition to earth. I can also attest that having looked into the eyes of more than one wolf at a local sanctuary, that their gaze is as piercing as any you'd ever see in another earthling, and their soul wisdom with that gaze is just as piercing and deep. Communing with any animal in the wild is always that heart chakra jolt for me, and such a mix of awe and respect that I'll never get tired of it. Because each time, it's an individual ambassador for a collective, and as such, each individual speaks for the collective in their own unique way. Something that beings in human experience may eventually learn to master as well. Soar is also a word that may bring forth other predators of the element of air, such as eagle or hawk, yet uniquely so to wolf, as these other raptors are solitary hunters, 
I sense that the word sore is also about what humans might see evidence of, say, for instance, in a murmuration of swallows moving as one, or of dragonfly synchronizing their flashes once a critical mass number of them has been reached. Every animal on this planet is both predator and prey, and yet none can strike such fear in the hearts of at least modern humans with wild tales of a pack of wolves attacking humans because of their mystical ability to soar above any obstacle in their presence. They do have a magic about them, and I think that's perfectly okay. The point is they do this to achieve for the pack that which sustains them. Perhaps then it's because humans have not reached our own critical mass number of collective awareness, even in small groups outside of our family units, and even within family units, those may not be possible in a lifetime, to achieve for ourselves with a single-minded pursuit that which is good for all of us. Nourishment, shelter, and the ancient wisdom of our species on how best to thrive within a balance of partnership with all other species. Think about that. Think how fabulous. Just feel how fabulous that feels. Again, on a planet of light and contrast to light, it is literally impossible to have any other structures that embrace one and vilify the other. The cycle of death, transition, and rebirth simply would not be the design on Earth, clearly visible to all species, if there was an alternative plan hidden somewhere just waiting for someone to uncover it. No, Wolf says, this is it. Soar or don't, respect the groups of others or don't, is all a choice, and your life path, along with all others, hangs in the balance. Beings in human experience have such a, here's that word again, frenemy relationship with Wolf. I think it's because on a cellular level, we recognize another apex predator, who is at least as smart as we perceive ourselves to be. And at the same time, we also deeply feel the unity of our role that includes prey. And more often than not, we step all too easily into that place that reacts with fear first, where wolf is concerned in pretty much all situations, just like we do with all other apex predators. And I wonder whether this would have been true or not when our relationship with them, species to species, first began eons ago. And of course, naturally, there is an incredibly broad range of those theories brought forth by biologists and zoologists. Overlaying even all of these theories and posits is, of course, a human-centric, which never ever goes or ends well for anyone involved, ego system of human on top, and specifically a somewhat romanticized version of likely inauthentic history of man as the ultimate hunter. I think it's mostly speciesism, quite frankly, at work, because again, in our thinking, it simply cannot be any other way. We scoff at balance and partnership being either at the genesis of our relationship with Wolf, and we also scoff 
at the same in our current relationship with wolf because, again, we simply cannot stand for it to be perceived any other way. I call it, as do the animals, the great imbalance, and likely the greatest one of all, surpassing even our own species, imbalance among different races. On one end of the spectrum, there is Kenshin schema, my favorite word, one of my favorite words. Remember that when we talked about that, the taking care of other young creatures because of its air quotes cuteness factor that was originally put forward as a foundation for understanding how Wolf became domesticated as allegedly the modern day dog. That is, humans took them into living areas as puppies, and as puppies, it was assumed that they were trainable and domesticated with food, shelter, etc. From my own very humble understanding of and connection with Wolf, I cannot get behind this theory. Because even if this had happened, the ever-present instinctual wildness in Wolf, as an animal in the wild, would likely not have succumbed and allowed themselves to be under the will and control of human, even ancient humans. Further, as Raymond Coppinger puts forth in his theory, he also perceives that the wild and wolf, even while being hand-raised, is just not something that ever ceases to be in that animal experience. He states that Wolf likely self-domesticated over many generations in close proximity to groups of humans and because Wolf was drawn to humans as a source of food. This food, to be clear, wasn't that humans were being eaten by the wolves. It was that the refuse from food scraps and the like being readily available in the same area as humans brought Wolf closer and closer to the location of humans, and that over generations the flight proximity, as he puts it, of an animal in the wild to human began to shorten in distance over time, lots of time, And so that successive groups of wolves began to self-evolve and domesticate into the dogs that we know and love today. Coppinger is also quite clear that no amount of human intervention, either in raising wolves or learning to hunt alongside them, would ever have been possible because of their wild nature. It's my thought that Coppinger likely would have agreed with a quote by the poet Ogden Nash. The trouble with a kitten is that it eventually becomes a cat. And yes, I know we're mixing species. And yes, you know, I do like to bring in cats and not leave anybody out in the cold. Other concepts about wolves and humans, the whole chicken and the egg sort of a thing, was put forth by Wolfgang Schleit, a zoologist, and interestingly enough, one of the founding fathers of bioacoustic abilities in animals, using sound in the ultrasonic range, similar to echolocation in bats, to help them find prey. His theories were first published in 1998 and updated in 2018. They were radically different from the theories of Coppinger. Schleit proposed that there was, this is my word, a symbiotic relationship based on survival and hunting between wolf and human that was responsible for the evolution of wolf. A, quote, pastoral apprenticeship by human to wolf, imagine that, 
And I would surmise from that that it was landing fairly far from the let's take them in as puppies and make them ours, Kinshin schema type of theory, and fairly distant even from Coppinger's, they're wild and nothing you can do now or then would have affected anything about them, they did it themselves, to end up in a triangle of sorts, I guess. Which in itself is interesting because, after all, a triangle is based on the number three, which is one of the magic numbers espoused by Nikola Tesla, that being three, six, and nine. And it's this pastoral apprenticeship that seems to resonate most with me, quite honestly, and which tells me that because it does, it is the authentic truth of the situation historically. That humans learned from Wolf how to hunt together as a group and how to even further coexist with Wolf as far as perhaps even sharing the sustenance from the hunt and that the weapons humans may have had at later times came in handy and with considerably more effectiveness and less injury than Wolf had previously experienced by themselves. It just seems to feel right that this balance and partnership was the foundation upon which both species' evolutionary paths were established. Most recently, a book by the authors Pirati and Fogg followed Schleit more closely, and his work is specifically cited in their work as far as human and wolf, recognizing that they were and are co-predators. That it wasn't likely a human-on-top ecosystem with another apex predator of modern times. It was a much larger ecosystem of balance and partnership between these two species, and that neither was in competition with the other, nor was one in fear of the other. A quote from their book is, quote, Indeed, for the relationship to succeed, it had to have been built on cooperation, not conflict or fear. Which likely more closely parallels what really happened. That instead of scavenging for scraps from the trash heap a la Coppinger, humans learned that watching how other species like Raven following Wolf to consume any leftovers as opportunistic feeders, humans could follow raven because they followed wolf, and that could be done fairly easily. Whereas tracking wolf in their hunting may have disrupted the hunt and therefore defeated the whole purpose of tracking wolf to begin with. And yet from these rather noble beginnings, we've come to the place where Wolf is definitely vilified, as I stated earlier, by ranchers in particular, who frankly are co-predators by raising their mostly domestic cattle and sheep for all of the byproducts of, let's face it, captive prey to humans. Why would Wolf then turn away from such an easy meal? Where is the recognition that Wolf is here first, is a keystone species, humans most definitely are not, quite the opposite, and that the reintroduction of Wolf up in Yellowstone proved to have a cascading, tremendously positive effect on literally and virtually all of the flora and fauna in the area? 
much like what is happening now, certainly in my home state of Colorado, where the reintroduction of gray wolves was narrowly approved on a recent ballot measure to be accomplished by 2023. And of course, in the way of nature, sightings of said wolves has already happened. It reminds me of a comment made by a wildlife biologist to me. Quote, wildlife management is an oxymoronic term, heavy emphasis on the moronic portion of the word. I don't know the answer to any of these questions, and I truly hesitate to even venture into discussion, certainly not on Facebook, with anyone on either side of the human equation, because that's just not how I roll. It is with the wisdom of the animals that I side, and I am a fierce advocate for balance and partnership, something that seems to have elusively slipped from the grasp of humans across the planet at this point in time. So let's return to Wolf to see if there can be light shed on this complex situation. And even immediately now, we'll start the channeled message from Wolf. Yes, complex, humans usually turn to complicated first, especially if they don't like or care to understand the truth of the answer in front of them. Wolf continues, We chose the word sore because that is the only avenue available to you now and then, and it is to your ancestors that you must return to see things as they once were, not as they are now. The mire and mud in which you love to wallow as human, casting about for answers that only serve to serve you, is as ridiculous and undermining as that visual surely must be felt to be. It is only in soaring above all of your petty differences, the forgotten truth of your hearts and ours intertwined as one, may you be able to see that to which you've chosen to blind yourselves. It is only through cooperation, learning and growing together, sharing wisdom openly and without ownership, that all species may once again choose their partnerships based on integrity, trust, and compassion for all individuals in the groups of those partnerships. To continue down the path on which you currently travel means only destruction, likely for your species first. Because although you perceive, and rightly so, that other species continue to be dependent on you, you are forgetting how vulnerable you actually are within the web of the design on the planet. The rest of us already have balance and partnership, so we at least have a chance to continue to not only survive, but to thrive. You do not. You are not on the top at all. And because of that, you may be the first to be trod upon when the rest of us continue without your numbers. At least, that's how Wolf sees it. Thanks for listening today. Leave a review if you're so inspired and be sure to subscribe to this podcast. I offer all new clients a free 15-minute consultation. Reach out if you think I can be of service via www.lazanflynn.com. Come and find me on social media, Facebook, Twitterverse, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I encourage you to sign up for my quarterly newsletter on my website, where I also post notices for upcoming events such as new classes and online psychic fairs. This has been the Animal's Eye View podcast. I'll see you next time. (laughs) 